Hello and welcome to Auric Digital's How to Make a Video Game Podcast. Here, you'll be entertained, informed and enlightened by the many goings on within the studio as we introduce you to our projects, our colleagues and give you a little insight into how we operate. Thanks for listening in. We hope you enjoy today's episode. How to Make a Video Game Podcast, Auric Digital Season 7. We're back. There's a little bit of a gap between 6 and 7. But a lot has changed. Oh my gosh, a lot has changed. It's changed uh, in the way that we do things, the, the people that now are working with us. It's, it's a very exciting time to be working uh, with and for Auric Digital. Um, I'm going to skip to the chase. Everyone knows and is very likely bored of my, my voice for what will be seven seasons long. My gosh, you well done for staying with us that long. But we, we, and the other presenter, they've regenerated again. I don't know what it is that I'm saying or doing or whatever, but they've regenerated. So we now have the amazingly talented Jess Rutland joining. Jess, I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to say anything about your good self. You're going to introduce yourself. Hello. Welcome to the pod. It's so damn good to have you on board. Hi. Hi, Matt. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I am very, very excited to be joining season seven of the Oracle Digital Podcast. I guess the best way for me to introduce myself is to talk a little bit about my role here at Oracle. And the whole episode is a day in the life of. Let me start off by saying I am a junior business development associate here at Auroc Digital. And I originally went out for a role as a junior marketing executive here at Auroc. I saw the CV. It was posted by one of the members of the marketing team online, Alice. And I saw this role and I thought, yeah, I can do this. I like it. I like community engagement. I'm a people person. This is definitely my skill set. I love data analysis. I was like, yes, let's go. And then I was very lucky to get an interview after sending in my CV. Had the interview. Absolutely smashed it because, of course, I, I, I'm quite good at interviews. I think that's where my, my skills lie are in in articulating myself well and thinking about what it is the other person wants. I'm very preemptive of that. And when the the, the, the sort of the ending to that interview, the, the aftermath of it, as it were, was I got an email from Nina Collins, our head of operations. And she says, we found someone else for the role. However, we want to invite you back for another chat because we think that there might be a suitable position for you. Obviously, Nina and, and Thomas Rawlings were behind the scenes chatting away, going, ooh, what, look at this CV, look at this person. Yeah, they were fine. It was all right. Interview went okay, I suppose. Uh, and they were obviously having these discussions about what it was they wanted on a business side of it. And really, I think they needed a little bit of help in the business development side of things because we've grown exponentially. Uh, you know, it's not a studio of 10, 20 people anymore. It's a studio of coming up to 60 people now at the time of recording. It's a sizable studio now. So obviously with that comes more projects and with more projects comes more of a need for more support in the business development side of things. I met Tom and the rest is history, really. He offered me a job there in the interview. I panicked because I didn't know how to respond. Here I am. So I guess, and also, Matt, you haven't introduced yourself for the episode. I, I I know. Thanks, Jess. Um, hello. I mean, everyone. Everyone uh, has heard these uh, these so called galaxy vocals. Uh, not my not my term. Someone else. The the original presenter was guilty of that. Thank you, Matt. Another Matt. Um, yeah, this is Matt, aka Matthew. Uh, I'm the audio designer and uh, recorder or recordist and editor of the podcast. Um, I'm really thrilled that we're back for another one because season six was difficult. It was, um, uh, you know, we we had started recording. I think COVID then struck round about round about the time we started. So we had like two, one or two clean episodes recorded, I think. And the rest was all done remotely. And we were all just improvising, improvising and improvising because it was such an unprecedented time for all of us. Um, that dust has now since settled a bit. Of course, COVID hasn't gone away. It's still very much with us and will be for for a long, long time, I expect. But the way in which that we do stuff uh, and operate as a business and as a development studio has has changed quite radically. Um, I know that we'll, we'll be having Thomas back on the episode uh, a little bit later on. Uh, everyone will know Thomas, the, uh, the studio director. Um, and he alludes to uh, in his chat about 
we've covered a day in the life of uh, of Oric Digital before, and of course that was pre-COVID, where things were so very different. Um, almost this forgotten time and space now. Um, but with that in mind, it felt very appropriate to do another one, which your, your good self has, has headed up and, and collected a whole bunch of interviews from many, many diverse people and backgrounds that are now in, involved with the studio. It's going to be really exciting to see not two things, really, how they've slotted into a new role with, with a new team, new people, all the rest of it, but also slotting into that whilst it's been remote, whilst COVID has been very, very active and all the restrictions that are in place with that. So it's going to be super interesting to get everyone's insight on that. Really, really insightful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose for me as well, it's been an interesting one coming into BizDev, which is short for business development, uh, coming into you know a role where it's a little bit of everything. I've kind of got a very light grasp of everything that's going on at Oracle at the moment in terms of projects, because you know there's data analysis and there's modeling of sales. And so it's a lot of spreadsheet going overs but then there's more creative endeavors like this podcast or networking with publishers or other developers uh, it's collaborating on projects for user research uh, creating player profiles producing timelines that's consultancy and organizing events um, such as the digital tabletop festival that we've hosted for the last couple of years on steam and you know engagement with the industry and everyone who plays games all of this as part of this job and then coming into it purely remotely having not even been to the studio before for the first month, it was it was a wild ride, definitely. It's a lot of information to take in to come into something from a remote perspective because you haven't got someone there by your side to go help. Like, what? what how do I do this? Or how do I do that? Or how do I do this? And, you know, we do have a lot of these things in place that we'll get into eventually with everyone else as well and how we operate and how we do these things. Like, we can just grab someone for a five-minute chat to go over something. But... It's, it's a different experience, I would say, to being in person and getting someone to come over, look at your screen and show you how to do it. So, yeah. yeah you're right. We're, we're social beasts. And um, I, I second what you said there. I mean, we, we've all kind of adapted and, and, and we've adapted to working remotely. And, and by and large, it's been, it's been very productive, I think, the last 12 months. We've certainly recruited and expanded a lot. Um, but but you're also very very right. I'm I'm a big believer in being able to spin around on my office chair and just say, oh, so and so, can I just pinch your pinch your time for two minutes to run this by you? And and we just can't do that at the minute. Yes, the the channels are there. You know whether you're using Slack or Discord in our in our case, and and all those kind of channels are available. But it isn't the same. But there are pros and cons to both, and we're going to cover that in this in this episode. But we're going to start at the top. What is a typical day like for our studio director, Thomas Rawlings. Tom, what's it like? So I am Thomas Rawlings and I'm the studio director here. And yeah, I'm kindly invited by um, Jess and Matt to talk about what's my day like. Um, so running the studio, my day is a mix of pre-planned stuff that I need to do, um, meetings that need to happen. And also there's a lot of reactive stuff. So that could be anything from a personnel issue that needs some attention, needs some input to an issue on a project that might need need me to take some put some attention to it or to something else like I need to sign off or respond to so there's always there's always a kind of general flow of of that sort of stuff coming through in terms of then you know so in the morning I might answer a few emails deal with a few messages on chat to do with that and then I kind of set myself up for the day look through my calendar see what I've got to do um, fire off any emails or messages I've got to do to, to, to respond to people or invite people to a meeting um, and then normally I go into a series of meetings. Sometimes they are meetings with producers going through where our projects are. Sometimes they're meetings with um, the, the company at director, like the discipline directors. So the people who run the, the various areas of the company, um, getting updates on where we are with that. And by that, I mean like programming, art, and design and production, stuff like that. Um, sometimes they're meetings with our, our partners at the, the wider Sumo group and, you know, they want to know what we're up to, how things are going, is there anything we need support on? And then there's just a whole range of meetings that I can have in a day f- from HR, finance stuff. I mean, all those other stuffs are essential and they're great people doing them. But obviously, I'm a, I'm a game developer, you know, at heart. I started out as a game designer and games are, are my I might love really. So, you know, when I'm in a design meeting or when I'm able to kind of review some gameplay and stuff, or I'm looking at some concept art that's been produced, 
or where I'm getting into a chat with some of the developers about the plan for a project. That's always the really exciting bit to get to do. The other bit, I think doing biz dev and biz dev short for business development, I also really enjoy that because we're getting to see projects at a really early stage. So maybe, um, you know, we're approached by somebody saying, is this a game you can make? Maybe we have an idea that's come through internally. We're looking to seed up. Um, and again, they're really interesting because, you, you know, at that stage, you're really, you're at the very earliest stage. It's not, it's literally a blank page because you're starting to put the kind of the very outline things of what that can be. And that's very exciting. It's obviously the most speculative. So, you know, business development, we will deal with, you know, 10, 20 things for every one that actually becomes a real project. And even of those 10, 20 things, there'll be a whole bunch of other queries that will come in, um, you know, that, that filter down to something that we actually do some business development work on. So there's a lot of speculative stuff um, before it gets to, to real things. Um, but yeah, so over the course of the day, it'll be meetings, chats, ad hoc chats with people responding to stuff. And then I also have my own work to do. I have documents I write, be they company strategy documents, be they, you know, working into development plans of what we're going to do on something, be they um, working with, you know, my colleague Jessia, you know, to um, try and get a kind of projection model of, of how many units something might sell, you know, because ultimately we're a business, you know, we're here to make creative, amazing games for people to play. But in order to do that, we've got to get enough people to play them, giving us some of their hard earned cash to make it to pay all our salaries and make it, you know, worth our while to do it. So so they're the parts that interact with the creative bit. And again, that's that challenge is one of the things that make what I do really interesting. Um, and then by the end of the day, having done a whole slew of those, uh, I've normally got a bunch of notes uh, and I actually use a notebook. So I kind of write down notes furiously throughout the day of things I've got to follow up, things I've got to look at. And then at the last bit of the day, I'll kind of process all those notes, make uh, add into documents, things that notes that need, you know, pointers and um, things like that. And then some of them will get turned into a to-do list for the next day or the following day. I try to schedule all the stuff that I've got to do in there. So otherwise it gets a bit lost. But yeah, that, that's my kind of typical day. So Tom, I'm super curious. Um, is there anything in particular, anything specific um, that you might do to signal the end of the day? Um, or are you an impressive force who can quite literally just close down your PC and that is the end of the day for you? Is there anything that you do to signal the end of the day? Yeah, it's... it's... It really depends on the nature of what's been happening. If I've got, and I think that's why me going through, for me, the, the, the way I get stuff to calm my head down from work and kind of get out of that state into a, a relaxing state is to go through all my notes and everything for the day, slot them into the right place, set it all up, and then I'm not having to think about it because it's been it's not been dealt with, but it's been filed away to be dealt with. Um, but the, the big thing is if there's something particularly exciting about a game or a particularly difficult issue that we've got to deal with, then it can take a little bit longer to switch off from that. Um, but I've been doing this a long time, and I'm quite well practiced at switching my brain off from work. So with that setting quite the bar, um, let's welcome back Jess, whom has a number of Oric Digital colleagues for the pod. Thank you. Thank you, Matt, for the warmest of welcomes. Now, I'd like to take the opportunity to, to turn the proverbial spotlight onto our other colleagues here at Oroc. Peter, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Your role here, what attracts you to working at Oracle Digital? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Peter, and I have been in the game studio, uh, games industry for about ten years now, uh, professionally. Um, four of it was in uh, games journalism and sort of streaming and um, that kind of thing, basically. And then six of it has been in production with Oracle. Uh, so I've been here since not the beginning. Oracle's been around for a while. Uh, but I, I was here when we were 14 people, 15 people, and now we're a, a little bit bigger, which is quite nice. Um, um, and yeah, I was a, uh, I was in the editorial team. I was the deputy editor of Pocket Gamer. I was the editor of App Spy, and um, I led the our stream stuff. And from there, I was kind of doing a lot of organisational stuff, working with our team to kind of. Uh, become the biggest streaming channel in the world at the time uh, for, for mobile games. Um, and then I was basically like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go and make games instead. And uh, so I um, uh, and I got chatting with Tom, and uh, here we are today, six years later. Oh, lovely. Wow. 
so mm, much experience. Very that's very it's very exciting. Yes, and at the end of all of this, of course, I'm now the production director. That's my role here mm-hmm. at the studio. Just, just the production director, you know. Uh, so, what does a typical day look like for you as production director? Mm. Okay. Well, um, so the roles uh, are fairly new to me, um, uh, but I've also been a producer here for a while. Um, I would say that the 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 role in general is about um, is about being the the glue that holds all of the different areas of the company together. So production isn't just production. I think people misunderstand as being like, how do you just make software, right? And I think that the the general thing from my perspective and generally how we like to work at the studio is that we try and connect every single element of the company together. So for example, our lovely marketing team, our lovely marketing community team, what we love to do is we like to get in touch with them and we say, hey, we're thinking about doing this for our development. And, um, you know, uh, you know, they sort of say, oh, okay, that sounds really good. Could we do X, Y, and Z? And that then informs the development rather than, uh, you know, for example, the development team saying, we're doing this and you need to market it or the other way around saying like, we need you to market we need to market this, therefore you have to do this. Mm. So production is basically about that. It's about connecting different team members together to um, uh, and different disciplines to make sure the entire business is talking to one another. Um, mm-hmm. um, I always describe producers as being the, cent- the spider in the center of the web of an entire organization. You know how everything sort of works generally, but not to a particularly deep level. Um, and... Um, you in you know you eat insects, um, but the I, I think the 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 day to day kind of stuff for me is um, is basically talking with lots of lovely people. So I get to talk with my production team. Um, they get to tell me about things like you know things that they need or ways that the company is working or ways that the, that they you know areas that they can see it aren't working and, and therefore we can make improvements because that's one of the things we do. Um, uh, I get to work with the team that I'm on. So I'm on the Brewmaster team, which is great. And currently I'm producing that. Um, and I get to work with some incredibly talented uh, developers there um, that do amazing stuff with um, uh, Unreal Engine. Um, I get to work. Uh, and then like uh, maybe I'll be in meetings. I, I, I seem to be in meetings all the time at the moment, but um, I get to be in a lot of meetings where decisions get made about how we move forward, how we, again, how we keep all of that glue uh, 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 together basically um, and then I get to work with clients so we've worked with some really lovely clients in the past um, and uh, I get to kind of work with our publishers that are obviously always wonderful um, and uh, uh, and basically update them on the progress of, of, of Brewmaster so there's a lot of different stuff you're spinning a lot of different plates when you're in production and um, you're jack of all trades and master of none and that's that's good because you need people like that I think making games yeah, I definitely agree. You need those kinds of people. But I would also go as far to say that, you know, being a jack of all trades and a master of none is, is a mastery in and of itself. I would argue <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. No, absolutely. I mean, so the other the other thing that our, our production team is, is is good at is is um, the theory. So uh, the, the thing that you really need to understand with production is not just following rules and following systems of how things get made, but understanding why systems are the way that they are the theory of how things get made efficiently Mm. so that you can tweak those things and you can chop and change how you make things depending on the project or the team that you have or the company's goals or the business objectives or all that good stuff so Mm -hmm. um so yeah that that is probably the area that is kind of more of the specialism that we kind of go into as as a production team well it's it's always really nice to hear about I, I suppose everyone's roles in a little bit more detail because you vaguely see the words production. So let's talk about Brewmaster then, your your actual project. Brewmaster is an interesting one because, I mean, first of all, it's kind of groundbreaking in in the genre that it is because it's 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 a craft beer beer brewing simulator, and there aren't any like that out there. Uh, can you? kind of give us a quick summary of the project and uh, any content that we're looking to improve that you can maybe dish out to our listeners at Ooh, home. Yes, what from uh, from post-alpha, yeah. Um, so basically, uh, Brewmaster is a first-person hobby simulation game. So uh, think of uh, wonderful games like PC Building Simulator or Woodworking Simulator or you know those kinds of things that are um, your high-quality 
simulation games. So if I've not explicitly mentioned one that seems similar, then that's, yeah. Uh, so basically that kind of stuff uh, where you are um, simulating a real world activity in an authentic manner. That's that's Brewmaster. Um, and it's about homebrewing. Uh, so the idea is that you have uh, your perfect brew space and you can create all sorts of different uh, beer types. So stouts and pale ales and I'm just going to now rattle off every single beer name. Um, so basically, a whole bunch of different styles, um, and then you and you do that in as a first person. So you're pouring in the liquids, you're 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 pouring in the grains, you're you're making sure that the yeast is in there and doing its thing, and then you're using these sort of like X-ray mode, sort of like Superman eyes to uh, to kind of look into the into the actual chemical simulation and see, okay, how is everything moving forward? Um, because the, it do, it does use an approximation of real brewing chemistry. Mm. um to to back up all of its gameplay so if you're a homebrewer yourself you'll be able to play the game and then be like oh yeah this is what i do um which is which is great um so we obviously did our alpha as you alluded to and it seems to have gone down really well and we use a lot of data um to 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 define how we're going to move a product forward um that's that's the best way of figuring out how to how what a consumer wants it's basically you ask them so a big part of the feedback that we got was, hey, um, everything is in metric. Now, I'm a big fan of the metric system, big fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also like, I do also like a little bit of Imperial now and again, just for spice and flavor. Um, and uh, also our, uh, our our players in America uh, were basically like, hey, I, I don't really know what a milliliter is. So um, could we have Imperial? Uh, and so, yeah, so we're going to do Imperial. Um, uh, as well as metric, and you'll be able to flick between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also doing some uh, quality of life improvement features. So, for example, uh, we had one player, bless them, who uh, tried to put their equipment away into mm-hmm. the cupboard. Um, and now I'm a big fan of that person because yeah. neat, neat and tidy, lovely. Keep, keep the space clean. Yes. Keep the space yes. clean. Unfortunately, what we didn't flag up to players is if you do that, you will pour away the entire beer and start again. And they got about 25 minutes into it, and we just did not tell them that that was a thing. And they were very good about it. It was really nice, actually, a lovely uh, lovely message on Discord that we got. So we're saving that. We're going to be like, by the way, so we'll send mm-hmm. a little message that says this. Um, we're also going to fix the VSync stuff. So people had a lot of screen tearing, so we're going to provide... We're going to make sure that VSync is actually working so that people can play the game for, you know, uh, 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 in a much better way. And we're going to do some more recipes, that kind of stuff. Um, I think some of the other feedback was around stuff like um, uh, the speed of the calendar, which we obviously knew that was something we knew going in. I think we had included that. In fact, we're going to try and speed that up for the next one that we that we give a go to. Oh, so many amazing things. We're also going to be improving the way that uh, the, the the liquids and stuff like that look. So there's loads of really good stuff coming up for the beta. Um, and there's also going to be a bunch of features, which uh, we're going to keep secret for a bit. But, uh, Ooh, secrets. Oh, I know, super secrets. Um, but yeah, um, but they should be really, really fun. And hopefully, again, we're going to do that beta and we're going to get people to um, uh, answer our surveys. And again, we're going to dictate how we move through the development uh, based on that feedback. Yeah. Thank you. I think I think you mentioned it is so important to listen to that that consumer feedback to get that first hand experience of what it's like to play the game. And this is why we go through alphas and betas before we actually go through to launch. This is why other people might opt to do open access, like early access, for example. Um, it's it's a crucial part of the development process, and it's really nice to have the community engaged as part of that process as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I would say that we use data to help us help us design what we're going to do but all of the data in the world is not going to help you actually come up with something fun so what we're really most interested in is finding out how people actually use our products rather than rather than kind of use that data to because if we, if what we were going to do is use data entirely to kind of drive design uh, we'd go and make a match three game that has got a lot of sweets in it uh, and call it rename our co- company uh, I don't know Queen or something like that because that would be the way to, for us to make a load of money and have a load of players mm. that's obviously not the kind of thing that we want to be able to do so yeah it's super important for us and um, we love getting that feedback What's interesting about the Brewmaster project in terms of real-world uh, COVID-19 implications is that Brewmaster was a project that began prior to the pandemic and 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 has excelled and thrived through the, the ongoing um, 
experiences of the pandemic and everything that's been involved with it, including lockdowns and everything else. So how has it been to be a producer of a project that has gone from being in person in the studio to then working from home in a work at home environment? Do I get to show off a little bit? Is that all right? Can I just brag for a little bit? You can brag. All right. So basically the way that we, the way that we work is, um, the, the way that we work is we really empower the team that we that we have, right? So, for example, you know, I get to work with you know, um, you know, Olivia and Hannah and Liddell and you know, all the other people on this on this call, right? So, so I get to and and, and in, on this podcast, I should say, um, so that uh, I get to we get to empower everybody at the company to basically do the work that they know they need to do now. What classic project management is, is basically somebody telling you, uh, you know, Jess, I need you to do this. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, here's the thing. Here's, here's the secret. I don't know what your job is and how to do it because that's not my job. Yeah. Like, and, and, and if I could, if I knew what I, what you needed to do next, I'd do it because what, like, what, you know, do you know what I mean? So, so, and this goes for every other discipline in the entire company. So rather than me tell people what to do, what you do is you empower the team with you to figure out how to move through the project. But the cool thing is that I could fall off of a cliff tomorrow morning uh, for the next two, three, four weeks. And I know that my team has a prioritized list of things and they can just go and pick the item that they need to work on next. Because, because so during the pandemic, when we all went remote, because we weren't all in the same room, we had already all of these tools where people were able to basically do the best work that we know we they want them that they want to do. We're just enabling people to do the work that they have basically signed up to do, right? And I know that everybody we hire is really wants to do great things. So rather than me be like, well, I know you want to do great things, and I know you know how how you should do it, but I know how I know best, so I'm going to tell you to do it like this. We just go, well, here are all the tools so you can do it for yourself. Go for it. So the, the, the big change was like, the big change for us was basically just we didn't get to be in the same room together. And um, and that, that sucks because, you know, you want to be around team members because you do get to build up this thing uh, that Margaret Heffernan refers to as social capital, which is where you are able to trust one another emotionally and, and intellectually because you are around one another, because you're constantly talking, you've got that good uh, thing. You know, you, you you're having those um, water cooler moments um, where you're asking people about non-work things, right? And that builds up that trust. So that sucks that we don't get to do that stuff. But because we haven't been able to do that stuff, as soon as we went remote, you know, Tom uh, and myself and a whole bunch of other people uh, in in management, I immediately identified this would be an issue. And what we've tried to do is encourage things like, cool, well, like, let's play video games remotely. Let's um, let's make sure that we're doing these dailies. Let's have our cameras on uh, in in daily. So we actually see people and realize that, oh, yeah, remember, these are real human beings that you're really critiquing their work. Um, And so it was weirdly smooth. Like, like I genuinely thought it would be a nightmare, um, but it was fine. And, um, you know, from a, from a work perspective, obviously, um, I think the only thing really that it kind of affected is, you know, when we have new, new mem- uh, team members come on board, um, you get that natural, it takes a little bit longer to kind of ramp up to feeling like you're part of the team. And that's something that we are, we're constantly trying to improve and figure out, okay, how can we make sure that, that everybody feels welcome and everybody feels like, you know, they're part of a a team that's making lovely stuff and yeah, all that sort of good stuff. Cause that's basically the very heart of the entire production process. Cause if you don't have that trust, you can't work in the way that we want to work. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's, I think it's really nice to, to highlight actually that because of how we work and because of the culture, and the environment at All Rock that we cultivate and have worked hard to cultivate over the years is it enabled us to have that smoother transition and that that independence, that trust, that rapport in, in the work that we each do to say we can all operate independently for the most part and get the work done and still come together and communicate and bring that project together at the end of it. I think that's really awesome. So good job to All for that one. Hannah and Olivia, would you both like to introduce yourselves because we have some interesting topics to cover? Yes, so my name is Olivia and um, I think 
as Peter said, that he has been in ministry for 10 years. I think that I have been that amount of time in weeks. Yeah, because that's my first job in the games industry, because uh, I finished university this year. And um, yeah, enjoying it so far. It's it's great, really. And I've got to do a lot of things that I don't know, but it was terrifying at first, like really terrifying, but exciting at the same time. And it went surprisingly um, pretty well, I'd say. Yeah, because um, on our... Um, um, another project that we'll be, we'll be talking about, I'll be mostly doing UI and VFX, which is not really my specialty. Um, so I had to learn a lot, and yeah, it, it was it was really scary, but um, got a lot of um, help and support from the team, and people were really patient actually with me at first, so which is also amazing. Um, but then I also got to do some 3D as well, which is uh, what I see as my sort of path so it's a nice balance of learning things as a kind of more uh, generalist but also doing something that i like doing so yeah it's great oh that's lovely yeah and and hannah you are uh, the producer for said project which is at the moment unannounced uh would you like to introduce yourself and your role yes hello i am hannah and i am a junior producer here at a rock digital uh, i feel like peter beautifully surmised already what a producer's role is within a company and i hope one day i'll be able to speak as eloquently as him when talking about my role but for now I am a little baby in this industry. I've been in the gaming industry for about three months. And yeah, I am the producer on the project Olivia is currently working on. And yes. Awesome. And what does a typical day look like for the both of you? If you'd like to go over what it might look for each of you. Well, each of my days is always kicked off with a sort of a short daily meeting where we can all the team gets together to chat through what they've been up to and what they will be getting up to that day. And it's always a great opportunity to ask if anyone on the team has any questions, quibbles, queries, anything like that. So I always round up every single meeting <laughs> and older catchphrase from my maths teacher. And uh, it's just a good chance to make sure everyone's on the same sort of page. Uh, we actually have some scratch audio taken from one of the dailies where you'll get a flavour of how things flow. Freddie, do you want to chat us through what you're going to get up to today? Yes, so um, I'm just going to have a look through the controller schemes again and add the uh, access mappings. Then I'm going to implement some new UI. The prefab's already there, so I can just get cracking on that. I'll still also need to sort out the localization for the controller scheme as well. Okay, cool. So two sort of load tasks remaining. Yeah. Beautiful. And then from there, each of my days tend to be quite wildly different, depending on what the project needs and what the people around me need in that moment. So, uh, for instance, Olivia, you were just chatting about uh, when you came onto the project we're currently working on, uh, you were mainly sort of focused on UI and VFX, and your heart is more within 3D art. So I was able to have a chat with some other people to get you onto more 3D arts topics and stuff. Awesome. Thank you. And, and Olivia? What does that day look like for you? Yes, yeah, so a typical day. I think, in a way, that will sound quite boring. So I <laughs> try to kind of keep it um, short, I think. Um, but I, I think in the morning, it's usually like meetings. And I find that people more often, like, I don't want to say want to talk, but um, people have more things to um, talk through in the morning or early afternoon. And then um, after lunch, I usually kind of go quiet. So I get kind of I've actually more done, I think, after lunch. Mm. And... I also like a little thing that me and Hannah, I think we are the latest lunch takers out of the whole team. I just like, we, everyone just takes like 12 yes. or something. <laughs> and we're just taking so late in comparison. It's kind of... Yeah. So do you think in the afternoon then is when you kind of get your focus time for when you're working on like the particular work that you're doing? It feels a bit yeah. quieter. Most definitely. With me... In general, it's always sort of been the case that my brain tends to wake up later on in the day. So it's one of the things I really love about working at Oroch as well in general, how they have flexible start and end times. So we can start anytime between 9 and 10 a.m. and then finish correspondingly between 5 and 6. And I think that's mm. great because it really allows me to put my energy in the right place depending on how I'm feeling in the day. 
if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. Yeah, and I'd agree. Like, it, it's good to wake up in, in the morning and go, oh, I just need that five more minutes in bed. And I know that I can take that five more minutes in bed. I can have the slow start that I need to engage my brain and wake up properly and hit the day properly rather than rushing into it, not feeling prepared. I think I really like the flexi time option because uh, I'm I'm a morning person, surprisingly. Uh, I'm, I'm a night owl in at heart when I tend to do work. But the beginning of the day is when I get most done. So with your project, you are doing a console port, which is an aspect that we do at Auric Digital. What we like to do is we like to take and work with indie developers and and help and support them not only publish their game on console, but also help them in the development process of taking that game over from a PC uh, version over into a console version that will work on Switch and Xbox and PlayStation. And obviously part of that is it, you know it goes beyond just the publishing side of things it goes beyond just the marketing side of things on their behalf it also then dives into the development processes so obviously we need a project team to be on hand for that at all times to because there will be bugs there will be fixes there will be glitches there'll be all sorts of things that we need to make sure people are at hand to work on so what would you say are the main obstacles you have to overcome in regards to how you create and format the digital artwork from the original version of the game into a console port? Personally, my biggest challenge, um, but these two will be kind of um, connected, I think, is um, that I play a lot of games, but I'm a PC. <laughs> so that means that I don't really know um, as well what a um, console player um, would expect, really. So I kind of have to then research, maybe do a little bit of um, a googling about, or ask people who play more console games um, in the team. Um, like what would you expect here? What do you expect here? And trying to learn and also um, I get my control of myself. I actually have one now, and kind of go and see like this frustration. What doesn't feel right? What feels right? And yeah, this understanding, I think, was something that I found quite difficult. But also, um, that kind of links to um, me doing UI currently is like what also what do people expect when it comes to the UI. Uh, what's the thing? Because of course you don't have a mouse. So that is something that I'm really used to, like, oh, I can click here, I can click here. But in console, you just you have to switch between different elements. And that makes things way more challenging because little things, like little, let's say, like an information icon, we can't have it because, um, of course, it's really tiny and people just can't click it. That's also another thing that things have to be big enough um, because we need to think of different, um, different consoles and to make sure that things quite visible, but at the same time, not overwhelming. So that's um, yeah, another challenge, I'd say, the um, sizing of things and keeping things um, like flowing and overlapping and, and such. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I suppose that ties in well into accessibility within games as well to make sure that the game remains or becomes even more so accessible to, to console players, um, not only in how you physically hold the controller and the buttons, but also the UI and the scaling of it. Um, yeah, and Hannah, have you found any any kind of uh, obstacles or difficulties or anything that kind of seemed unexpected to you in regards to a console porting project? Well, I sort of have the same issue as Olivia being mainly a computer gamer myself. I was very much a uh, console gamer when I was younger, but then as I got older, I grew out of console and into PC. And then it's almost like having to go back and visit like, oh yeah, I remember when I used to be a console person. <laughs> uh, I think one thing about console porting is that it provides a really interesting opportunity to enhance the existing game, to add on those extra little layers of polish, and even to go into the game and have a look at like what is it the community are saying about this existing game and what they want changing to it, how they want it to be developed. And it's great to be able to take on board that feedback and implement it into their new console version. But then simultaneously, you have to be careful of treading that line of changing and enhancing things without changing the game too much and detracting from what makes the original game the original game. Every game that we have ported so far has a higher Metacritic score for the console version than the uh, computer version or vice versa and that's something we're very proud of. But again, it's about towing that line of enhancing the game without taking away of what the game originally was. Yeah, 
yeah, not detracting from the original development of the game and to make sure the experience is still a shared experience between PC gamers and console gamers. And um, and yeah, I guess that the Metacritic score is, is that reassurance that we have at the very least replicated the game well and authentically to the original game, uh, which I think is, which is really the highest praise you can get. Thank you. Thank you both for talking about that uh for talking about console porting i again like it's it's definitely something a little bit different because not only as a studio at auroc digital we are with games developers but we're also publishers as well and that's interesting in reaching that dynamic because we will only not only self-publish some of our games as well as working with publishers we do like to to reach out to those indie developers and and help them bring the game to console where they may not have the capacity or may not want to have originally considered doing it and you know wanting to work with them on projects that we're equally as excited about we have one more guest joining us uh liddell my my lovely dear liddell would you like to introduce yourself your role here or and uh tell us a little bit about what brought you here uh hi i am liddell uh my full title is a very long one. It is Junior Marketing and Community Executive, um, which I love the fact it's so long. Um, I just, I don't know why. I just like the fact it's a long title. I had no experience in gaming, but I had such a drive to get in here and the fact that I was fully in love with everything that games company do and how amazing it was and then like we just it just sort of like popped up and I was like oh cool I'll just apply um like not thinking I would get it um I actually thought I didn't get it and then when I got it I did like a skip and a dance um thank you Liddell thank you uh thank you for introducing yourself so what does a typical day look like for you in marketing because you cover quite a lot of things over there in that department um marketing is like we're really like you know like people who look like really cool and calm and collected at the front but then like underneath are like like ducks in a pond were like flapping mm. loads that's marketing <laughs> on a typical day we are like for me personally because there's three of us in marketing I do the forums so I check those all the time every day and I do the socials so if you ever see a gif or a meme posted it wasn't me okay okay um yeah 100% wasn't me um so I start my morning going through those um and then after that from all these games that we do, all these amazing games, it's creating all the blog posts, the social posts, um, oh, that's it, Discord, mm. doing those as well, meeting with companies, um, talking to influencers, making videos, editing photos. Um, I'm actually just thinking about what I've done today. It's a great um, way to give an example, yeah. Um, I had a meeting with people from different um, studios today about diversity. Um, yeah, so not nothing much. We don't really do anything in marketing. So so yeah. for anyone listening in, Liddell here is uh, amusingly and entertainingly, for, for comedy's sake, underselling herself and her team here. They, they really do work for extremely hard you know i want to say you know we the, the the new hires that we have are absolutely fantastic we don't hire badly that's one of the things i think we're really good at we, we're really good at finding the right people the right talented people and importantly people that fit in with a really you know the culture that we've built uh, spent so long building up so yeah yeah you might not have been here for a while but you definitely all you definitely all uh you're definitely all a huge part of the family now so i mean that kind of ties in quite nicely with my next question for you Liddell. um and you did uh, very briefly touch on this uh, the uh, one part of your title is is community and that comes in with our with our public community discord that we at Oroch have could you tell us a little bit about what it's like to have that community management aspect of your role as well I 
love working with the community like that is one of my big focuses like I love being able to talk to people if you haven't noticed I can talk for England but and I'm trying to limit myself because this has got to be a short podcast basically um being able to speak to people daily and help them out like even like like someone was doing in our discord had exams and just being able to be like reassure them and know that they're okay is great um i recently completed my mental health training for um community manager um, and just received my certificate um which is great um so um I that's also an extra asset to have because people we have such a really nice tight community um which like they always come and ask us um like little things and they're the same people who will play most of our games like they played the brewmaster they played mars horizon um they know when we have new starters they they're like know everything that's going on they're the same people that like our tweets they watch our videos so when something's going up and wrong with them i'm like like hold on let me lace up my boots let me come and protect you what has happened um it's just so much like being able to have literally that bubble for the community is it like it makes my heart swell like it's so amazing um and i love the fact it's getting bigger as well um like every day it grows and like especially with the alpha people coming in and they're talking to each other the alpha was so like i literally had to tell myself to not go in outside of work hours because it was so much joy watching everyone talk and share recipes and I don't want to spoil this but someone made bread (laughs) and it was the best thing ever to discover um and it was and like just to help them out when there's issues it's like it just makes me know that I've made the right choice and this is who I am, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Adele. No, it's it's lovely to know that, like, not only does this community aspect of your role really kind of reassure you and reinforce that this is where you want to be in the games industry, this is where your heart is, but it's also interesting from a, a business perspective, I suppose, to have that community aspect towards it. It's not just marketing as well, because we're building a platform, we're building a space for people to come and to follow us as a studio. It's not necessarily the games that we make, it's that engagement with our community providing the space and support for them and building a rapport with them and and enjoying their company too like genuinely enjoying what they have to say and what they how they're feeling about our games and that really is just it's better to have that direct communication um with them in in terms of development um so yeah i think and that might not be what other studios necessarily have and i think that works really well for us here at auroc uh, to have that that space and that direct link to our consumers and to our to our players, I would like to also take the opportunity now to thank everyone so so much for joining me today. It has been a delight, a dream. It's been insightful. It's been fun. Thank you very much for your time. I don't think Jess, we've had. I mean, I think I, I'm pretty sure I've said this before on previous seasons that we've never had this many guests in one episode. But I do believe this is a new bar. We've got a huge, huge, diverse bunch of creative people now at the studio, and it's really exciting. Really exciting. Yeah, and I think I think the fact that we've got such a great bunch of everyone working here is why we wanted to get as many of them as possible onto the podcast to talk about their experiences and what it's like working at Auroc. Uh, so thank you so, so much to, to everyone, to all of our guests who have joined us today. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, just to have a quick recap, I guess you've you summed up really well. We've got a huge, expansive range of individuals here at Auroc Digital, and I think that's really critical for evolving and adapting in the industry. It's been really great to highlight as well that you don't necessarily need experience in the games industry to get into it. 
particularly just not for our case. We think that that's where we actually get to find uh, different skill sets in people is when they don't necessarily come from a games industry background and they come from something related because then they can apply the skills they've learned to our work. Um, I think so. I think there's a huge huge amount of value in that as well. I mean, you're, you're dead right in, in, in having um, the expertise and the experiences is crucial. Um, but for people coming from from something else, maybe entirely different, it's a new it's a new perspective, something that maybe we as a studio didn't have previously. And it just allows us more kind of I don't know. Just again, it's knowledge is power. It's just it's being able to adapt things um, with a new perspective, which I find super. Super exciting. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, at All Rock, I think we have a really, really great atmosphere for training and supporting everyone. And I think that our studio director, uh, Thomas Rawlings, can speak a little more about that in terms of recruitment and what it's like to work at All Rock and be employed here. Yeah, well, I mean, we, as you say, we, we've been recruiting, you know, re- reasonably busy uh, we've done quite a lot of recruitment um, while, and you know, this episode of the podcast is a kind of, in a way, is a sequel to an earlier episode of the podcast, which I don't know if you alluded to, but we did one like day in the life or before we spoke with lots of people. And, you know, when we do job interviews, we found, you know, people listened to that and they found it really helpful given view, but it was all pre COVID. Uh, and now we're post COVID. And I think what's interesting is I think COVID has changed how we work forever. So there was how we work then and there's how we work now and they're completely different. And I think what would be useful to just kind of add in at this point is, is really what that, what that key difference is. And I, I think the first and most important is we're now predominantly a remote studio. So, so they, they predominantly work from home. And what that means is we have to have adapted our systems to deal with that. Uh, and, and, you know, the, there's there's pros and cons to doing that. I, th- I think big gains are it's popular amongst staff. You know, there's no commute for people. They get more time with friends and family. They get more time to themselves because they don't lose some time to the commute. Um, it, it's obviously a lot easier. It, you know, it allows people to live wherever they want in the UK and kind of work remotely within there. Um, on the other hand, I think it does have some downside. There's, there's a kind of term which, um, you know, um, we've used, my, my colleague, uh, our colleague Peter introduced me to this idea of social capital, which is the fact that if we're all working together in the same space doing the thing, we build up a kind of series of shared interconnections. Um, and so when something happens, a project goes wrong, something goes a bit pear shaped, because we've built that weight of trust and interaction with each other, it makes it much more robust to deal with that sort of stuff. And we don't have that as much. I'm not saying you don't build relationships with people, but I think when you get to interact with in, in person you build stronger relationships or you build them faster i'm not sure exactly how but it's definitely different um so we've we've been seeking ways to kind of replicate that so you know we do a bunch of online stuff so we have a lot of chat there's a lot of kind of banter and little in jokes that that sort of happen on online and, and i say in jokes i mean not at somebody's expense kind of like quite fun stuff um we have a bunch of social channels for people to chat we do games nights in the evenings We've done miniature painting nights where people kind of paint their, you know, their, their various 40k or whatever else they're collecting stuff or just turn up and chat. Um, but the biggest thing I think that is different is periodically we are bringing teams into the office. Uh, we've done this with a couple of the teams. So all the team come in. But at that point, they don't come in and do the same thing. You're not at home writing code and then you come in the office and you're writing code. If you're a coder, what happens is you come in the office and we will have arranged a series of, of group activities. So reviewing a game and seeing how it's going, doing a kind of uh, what we call project backlog, which is looking at some of the tasks um, that still remain in a project and, and assigning sort of what we might do and what priority we put to stuff, mentoring, code reviews, that sort of stuff, which is just that little bit better to, to be done face to face. So that, that's kind of key part. But because there's a lot of effort involved in bringing everybody in together, it's not a thing we do that regularly. It's kind of more... It, less regular thing but but it definitely builds the bonds between people i mean you know jess you you've taken part in um one with our new publisher didn't you i mean did you find that that built relationships with people more than just the chat has i think so i think that if we're comparing it to seeing each other just on a screen obviously i got to meet yourself in person for the first time after a month of knowing you i feel like 
immediately I got a better sense for you and I feel like our dynamic our working dynamic together got stronger from that because we had the interaction we had the chance to build a rapport and build a trust and I definitely got that with our publishers as well um it was it was really lovely to meet everyone and to to just experience them in in person and their mannerisms and how they acted yeah, I should say that there's a handful of roles that, that do require people to be in the office. There's only a few people, but but they are still working from the office. Um, but the vast majority of people, where they don't need to, they have that option. And a few people choose to work from the office, and, and absolutely we support them, but m- most don't. Um, I think the, the other thing that's key in how we've been dealing with COVID is we don't make anybody do in-person stuff. Um some people have maybe been shielding a, a partner or a or friend or relative. Some people are just uncomfortable um, with the situation, which is totally understandable. And, you know, if they're able to do their job remotely, then we've not forced anyone to do it. So even if we're having an in-person meeting, if that's not possible or, or some people don't want to do it, then we don't make them and we've got accommodation to do that as well. And I think that's been an important part of how we've dealt with COVID, which is recognising that, the experience of COVID is going to be different for everybody. We, again, we have to adapt the work environment to that. Just on the um, on the meetings front, how have you found it in terms of, because there is a lot less uh, physical interactions and meetings taking place, you can be much more selective and think, is this meeting necessary? Does it warrant us meeting up physically to have this meeting? So you can be much more specific about that, which I think is a good thing. But then on the flip side of that, because we are remote, um, do you find that there's been a, an incline of, um remote meetings has there been more of that because of course we're not physical so it's like remote meetings versus physical there's a good a dark and a, a good side to that coin there have you seen like a rise and fall of either do you think uh it's difficult to say because a lot of my job is meetings so you know the majority <laughs> of my day is spent in meetings um so but you, you're right it's kind of easier to call a meeting now because you don't have to get everybody in a room together and so, so I think there's that, but but obviously we we also use Discord as a kind of development tool, um, and and I think what's good with Discord is it makes that just pop in and chat very very quick. It, it's like it, it's even easier than getting people round in a room together or like setting up a, a pre pre you know done event to, to chat with stuff. So I, again, I think the main thing is let people use the tools how they want. I know there's a lot of let's jump in discord and chat or let's you know um let's jump in teams and chat and screen share and show stuff and and i encourage that i think it's really nice i think those interactions while i think the in-person interaction definitely adds uh you know an extra bit to it there's still a huge amount of value in the voice communication in hearing each other and some people actually are more comfortable with text and you know that they're they're a little bit more expressive with that i think for me the, the biggest thing is that's interesting is it's allowed people to work in a way that suits them more so somebody who is more sociable wants to be in person wants to be working in office around somebody we can support that but somebody who actually is more comfortable um you know working from home for whatever their reasons are and again i don't really need you to tell me those reasons if you just like i want to work from home because i don't want to get on a bus fine i want to work from home because you know that's where i'm comfortable fine too like i don't need the reasoning now you can just pick where it is you want and we support it. But 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 the fact that we're in this position has meant we can support all those preferred ways of doing things much better than we had been able to before. Yeah, I think we've really improved our accessibility for all of the staff in that sense. And I think that's really, really good. Yeah, definitely. And, and as I say, I, I think, you know, we, it's just not going to be the case where it's just, oh, back to the office. Like that is not a thing that's going to happen. Um, I mean, even if I wanted it to happen as the studio director, and I don't, because I don't think it's the right thing for us, um, I, I just don't see a situation where it's easily going to be happening anytime soon anyway. So I think the best thing we can do is recognise that, yes, while there's a few cons to it, there's also a lot of pros, and just embrace the change and say, well, this is what it is, and we'll we'll do our best to work our way around it. Um, yeah, if you are interested in joining the team at Auric Digital, you can visit the website at www.orcdigital.com forward slash jobs. And we have always got updates of the the roles that we have going at the moment. And maybe you'll see one of us on, on the other side of the interview screen.
sometime soon if you do apply. And I would add that, you know, if you have a set of skills that you think would be used to us and we're not, we haven't got an ex- haven't explicitly stated a role that we're looking for, then please do ping your CV in any way. Sometimes we're considering stuff and maybe you've kind of got in there early because we haven't actually posted it up there. Other times somebody might actually make us aware of uh, something that, you know, we didn't really realize was a good option for us, but once the kind of options there, we take it. So if in doubt, ping us your CV. Yeah, I mean, that was what happened for me. In my case, I originally applied for a separate role in marketing and then you saw my CV and I ended up in BizDev, so. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's been a it's been a, a great hire. So yeah, I'm very pleased <laughs> with the fact that we did get your CV and, and you know, and as you say, we hadn't advertised that role because I was still figuring out what it was. It was a kind of hard one to put the exact criteria we're looking for. But weirdly, it's one of those things that as soon as you see a CV and you're like, and you look at the kind of skills and experience, it's like, yeah, that fits. Uh, And so then we were able to kind of move on that. In the fast paced realm of the games industry, the best way to keep up to date with everything happening at Oroch Digital is to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, using the handle at Oroch Digital. And we're on LinkedIn too, as Oroch-Digital-Limited. We also encourage you to sign up to our mailing list to receive regular newsletters that go into more detail about our projects and to join our community Discord, who are the first to hear our updates. You can subscribe to the mailing list and join the Discord on our website, orocdigital.com. And whilst you're on the website, be sure to check out our recruitment page under orocdigital.com forward slash jobs, where we post all employment opportunities. Links to all these socials and more are in the episode description. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one.